0: Father God, we want to always learn from you, but not just with our minds, although we bring all of our minds to it, not just in our emotions, although we bring all of our heart to it, not even just in our physical being, although we are here present, Lord, for you, but with everything that we are, all the richness and fullness of our will, we come to you and we lay ourselves before you as on the altar and we say, speak to us today. Let our ears be open. Let our hearts be open. Let our minds be open. And may our entire being be conformed to you, to what you're like, to what you want, so that your fruit would be produced in us, even the fruit of your joy, which is strength in our bones and light to our feet. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I was a young boy... And I would visit my grandparents. My grandmother was a widow. And I would spend time with her. And in her retirement, she was very active. So I would go with her to her various points of service. Not only her church and her church committees, but she was a a pink lady at the hospital. I don't even know if they use that term anymore. But she was among the retirees who provided assistance in the hospital um, uh, on her available days. She was part of a travel club at the Uptown Y in San Bernardino. I would go with her to the Uptown Seniors Travel Club for their meetings. And so I would often be in situations where there were other older people. Now, I realize now that she was a lot younger then than I realize <laughs> at the time. But she was still part of that senior community. Well, I remember that my grandmother was a great fan of prunes, and whenever she would be together with her friends, they would talk about the value of prunes. As a kid, I was confounded by the statement that prunes make you regular. (laughs) To me, that meant by eating prunes, you could be a normal person, and if you didn't eat prunes, maybe you weren't a normal person. So I thought I must be kind of strange, which was probably true, but it was later explained to me what was precisely meant by prunes make you regular, and it was a much more mundane statement. Message as you can imagine. But in the process of that, I discovered something about prunes that I never knew before. Prunes are plums. Because I had said to my grandmother, I'm not really a big fan of prunes, which is, I think, how the topic of prunes make you regular came up. She was singing the praises of prunes. But she said, well, if you like plums, you should like prunes because prunes are just dried plums. What? Now, these two totally different things suddenly were related to each other it was at this time and i was still fairly young you understand that i discovered that raisins were grapes i think that's when i found out that pickles were cucumbers there was all this produce that was the same but it was being used in all these different ways last week we talked about the first fruit of the spirit love and i used the phrase the irreducible element of the kingdom i don't know if it's the best phrase it may not be I don't know precisely how to get at exactly what I intend to say with this, but I'm hoping that in this series on the fruit of the Spirit, which is about developing the attributes of God, that is, having the characteristics of God grown in us as we abide in Him, as we read His Word prayerfully, as we pray daily, as we worship Him together corporately, individually, privately, As we come to the communion table, these are all elements of abiding in the Lord. Obeying the Lord is abiding in the Lord. As we do those things, the Lord does His thing. He makes His character come out in us. And I said that love is the essence of His character. And that in my opinion, the list of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul provides in Galatians 5, which is just some of the characteristics of God, not all. It's a representative list. But we've made mention of this in the past. Paul doesn't call them the fruits of the Spirit. He calls it the fruit, singularly, of the Spirit. I want to suggest that in as much as John, 1 John 4.8 says, God is love. And the entirety of Scripture is a love letter from God to His creation, showing us how everything He does, His judgment, His wrath, His mercy, His grace... The sacrifice of his son supremely show us his love. God is love and the fruit of his character in us is love. But love, like a plum, can be shown in many ways. There are different stages, phases, versions, forms. It's the same thing, but it's coming in a particular kind of context. And so today, as I talk about joy, the second of the fruit that Paul mentions, I want to start by saying joy, and I will elaborate this further a little bit later in the message, is God's love. Joy is God's love, but what I want to remind you about God's love, as we talked about last week, is when I say love, I'm not talking primarily about a feeling. Not in terms of the biblical notion of God's love. Not divine love. I'm not saying God doesn't have feelings. What I'm saying is the feeling is not the primary definition of God's love. Do you remember that we talked about how God's love is a covenant? That He initiates. It's a promise that He makes. That's an act of His will. And the will, by the way, is not just God's mind. It's God's whole being. In other words, when I say God is love and that love is the irreducible element of the kingdom, what I'm saying is God makes a choice to love and his love manifests in a whole rainbow, a whole array of different ways. And joy is one of the ways that you and I experience the love of God. Therefore, for us, love is a choice also. We choose to love God. Not because we do that independently, we're responding to Him. We love Him because He first chose to love us. We are given the right to choose to love Him by the power of His love and His Spirit, by the sanctifying power of His blood through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we also choose joy. We turn to the person on the other side of you and say, Choose joy. Joy is a choice. We, as human beings, tend to allow our emotions and what we see to guide us. Pastor Daniel, during the worship time, was really inspired by the Holy Spirit as he was praying and saying, we're not going to be people who live according to what we see or according to what we feel, but rather according to the choice God has made, according to his covenant promise, according to the reality of who he is and the reliability of his presence. And that's our love to him, is choosing to live that way. It's what he's called us to do. And yet, you and I are not really capable of doing it unless he is working in us. But as his spirit indwells us, his joy comes to us. And the joy of the Lord is strength. It produces strength for the struggle. That is out of Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And we're going to look at that passage in just a little bit more detail. Not all the detail that we could bring to it, but a bit more in just a few minutes. But in this message, there are three verses that I have chosen as primary points of reference, even though we are going to look at, I think, seven points. And don't worry, uh, I won't take so much time with any one point that we can't get to the next. You're probably not believing that, but just take it by faith and pray the joy of the Lord is your strength is one of our our undergirding verses about joy that is that God's love for and in you gives you by his spirit the strength to sustain through whatever he calls you to go through through whatever he allows you to go through and not only to sustain not just oh I can make it I can make it but just barely no to live with joy I was with the pastoral team yesterday and I said, you know, I'm grateful for the struggles in my life recently. It's hard to say that and I don't always feel that way, but I'm talking about a choice, not a feeling. I don't always feel grateful, but I choose to rejoice and count it all joy because I see God at work in me through those things. Also, as a church, We've had struggles. And you know what? They're not over. And they never will be until Jesus comes back. Because that's part of life on this earth, in this world. But if we're living in the midst of that with downcast face and weariness and grudging sense of faith, we praise the Lord, but we, we don't have any joy. You know what? I don't think we really know the Lord. At least we're not living and abiding in who He is. Maybe we know him, but we've forgotten who he is and what he's like if his fruit isn't being manifest in us. So the thing to do is not to try and produce that fruit, but to return to the root, to return to the source, to abide in Christ Jesus and allow him to abide in you. When we take the elements in just a few minutes, I want to remind you that Christ is coming into you as you partake of the body and blood. And that is a seed of joy coming into you. Joy because he himself had joy even as he went to the cross. Can you imagine that? I don't think any of us fully can, but the parallel, the best that any of us can draw is the worst that life has thrown at you. The worst day that you've ever had Multiply that by some exponential amount and that's the cross. Because you know what? Your worst day, your worst deed, your worst attributes, that's what's hanging there on the cross. That's in fact what nailed him to the cross. You and I, we nailed him to the cross with our sin and the sins that we've suffered, the sins of others, that nailed him to the cross too. He who knew no sin who was and is life and love and joy, he became sin for us. He took the curse upon himself. Why? Because of the joy of the Lord that was set before him. You see, that was the strength. That was how he was able to remain faithful and go to the cross. That was the passion that drove him through the passion was the joy of God And that joy was you and me being with Him. It was us being saved. That's His joy. Our salvation, our sanctification, our being saved and being made holy is joy to Him. For the joy before Him, He went to the cross. That means that when He says, if you're going to follow Him, you're going to pick up your cross, the strength that you're going to do that with is the joy of the Lord. The promise of your salvation and the glorious prospect of the salvation of others. The promise of your sanctification and the glorious reality of getting to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron and equip one another as members of the body. That's the joy of the Lord. And without it, we are weak. But our weakness is made strong through His joy. Therefore, when we face various trials, we have that joy of eternity set before us. We have the joy of the reality of Jesus' presence here and now. Not just someday I get to be with Him, but He's living inside of me now, today. So I can count it all joy because I recognize that whatever trials come, they produce endurance. Perseverance, they perfect us. Magalaksa lahat ng uri ng pagsubok. Pagsubok. So, joy is a facet of divine love. Isang ng pagibig. It's an aspect of God's love, right? That's why there's a singular fruit led with love but is reiterated in all these others. And in subsequent weeks, we'll take a break next week, but when we come back in two weeks, we're going to talk about how peace is a facet of God's love as well. It's found in God's presence because it's born of Him. If God is love and joy is a facet of love, then God is joy. To be in God's presence is to have joy if you belong to God. Now, it's not joy if you don't belong to God because His joy isn't in you, right? If He's not in you. But if you and I belong to God, and hallelujah, it's as simple as saying, I want to belong. Because God has said, I want you to be mine. As many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be children. Not everyone receives him, but everyone can. And as many as will, they do become his children, and his joy is in them, and his presence is with them. Sac presencia non is joy. You will make known to me says David in Psalm 16, verse 11, the path of life. You'll show me what to do. If I'm, if I'm facing something and I don't know what to decide, if I'm facing a situation and I don't know how to solve it, if I made a mistake and I don't know how to correct it, you'll show me what to do, Lord. In your presence, not only will you show me, but you'll give me joy. I will know that it's you because the joy of the Lord will be in me as I am in you. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. You see that? We always have to have the eternal perspective. The eternal perspective will help remind us of the joy. The joy of the Lord. Now, the first time in the Greek New Testament that the word joy that Paul uses, chara is the Greek word chara. First time that it shows up, it actually shows up with its verbal root. So, the word that he uses in Galatians 5 is joy, and that word linguistically has a root in the verb rejoice. In other words, joy is the product of rejoicing. That seems fairly evident, right? But I want to remind you of that. Let me say that again. In fact, why don't you say it to somebody next to you. Joy is the product of rejoicing. We've said that we cannot produce the fruit of ourselves. We have to abide in Christ. We cannot produce the noun joy on our own. God will produce us in it. But what we can do is we can verbally abide. In other words, we can take the active choice to abide in God, which means I choose to rejoice. No matter what situation I see, I choose to rejoice because I'm looking above. And indeed, that's what we see in Matthew chapter 2. The wise men of the east, the wise men, the magi, taong ai nagala. They see the star of Bethlehem and they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. If you are losing sight of the love of the Lord, if you are losing sight of the path, if you don't know where to go, look up. Look to the light of God from heaven and rejoice because it's there and he leads and guides and provides. Jesus told a parable later in Matthew, Matthew 25, in which there were there was a master who gave his servants various different values, talents, amounts of money. And when the servants were faithful and produced fruitfulness through it, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a little. I'll put you over a lot. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Jesus is talking about the experience of those who live in the Lord and produce fruitfulness out of what he has given us. We have nothing to start with and we don't even produce the fruitfulness. But if we are faithful to abide in him and invest what he has given us, he says, you can enter into my presence, which is entering into joy. Halika, makichati, kasaakin, kagalakan. Heidi, translate that for me because it's, it's kind of colloquial, right? It's like, hey, yeah. hey, come on into the goodness. Come on, into the, come on into the joy. Enter into the joy. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> the faithful translator. Joy is <laughs> strength from the Lord. Strength from the Lord. Well, this is what we talked about in Nehemiah chapter 8. But do you know the context of this? Nehemiah takes place after the unfaithfulness of God's covenant people Israel. God was faithful to his covenant, but they weren't. God kept providing what he said he would do. They stopped worshiping him properly. They kept up the outward show, but in their hearts, they violated, and they entered into all kinds of idolatry. And then even the outward show began to crumble away, and they got involved in all kinds of wrong living. And because of that, the enemies that surrounded them overtook them, and they were banished and exiled. But following the Babylonian captivity... The people of Judah are restored and under the leadership of Nehemiah and others, Ezra and so forth, they're able to begin to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. But in the process, they rediscover God's word. Friends, I want to say, as we enter this week into a time of Lenten preparation for resurrection renewal, I want us to rediscover God's word, each one of us individually. I think God wants us to do that. Me too, you, us. None of us have come to the end of this, but you know one of the fears of rediscovering the ways of God and his word? We're reminded of how far short we fall of him. We come face to face with our sin because he insists upon it. See, God isn't afraid of our sin, and he's not willing to ignore it. The purity of our lives is the measure of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And God wants our lives to be perfectly pure. That's scary. When the people of Israel began to realize how impure their lives were, how grievously they had offended God, how glorious God is, and how badly they had failed, they were mourning, they were weeping, They were repenting, and they weren't wrong to do so. But Nehemiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says to them, in response to their repentance, don't be sad, have joy. The good news is God forgives. God redeems. God is not unfaithful. Even if you and I have been unfaithful, God remains faithful if you and I repent and turn to Him. The good news is he's already reaching out to us. So celebrate. Go and eat the good food and drink the good drink and even give to others who don't have any because this is a holy day to the Lord. Don't grieve. Feel the joy of the Lord and be strengthened by it. Now, I want to say that message only comes to those who are grieving. Why would God say to people who aren't grieving, don't grieve? So don't just take the last half of the message and forget the first half. The message only applies to those who have recognized the reality of their sin. If you want to know the fullness of the joy of the Lord, you've got to ask Him to show you the depth of your sin. Me too. But we can do that confidently because He loves us. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. In fact, whenever we are struggling, the joy of the Lord is hope in the night to us. He leads us through the night. Psalm 30, verse 5 ends by saying, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. It's the basis of a great worship song, isn't it? Sabuang Magdamag. Luha <laughs> talk Thank you. I won't sing it. Listen to what Jesus said to the apostles, and this is Jesus when he's the only one, even though he has said it over and over, he's the only one that really recognizes that it's his last night on earth. He's saying it over this table. He's saying it over this cup, this bread, his blood, his body. He's saying it to his people. And in John 17, he makes it clear, not just them, but you and me too, all those that believe through them. And he says, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. Talk about the worst day ever. After three and a half years of seeing miracle after miracle after miracle, the disciples see the miracle maker beaten, bloodied, arrested, defiled, despised, and killed. They see him betrayed by one of their own, one of the very closest, a leader who was entrusted with the purse strings, the treasurer, Judas. Judas. Jesus says, you're going to weep and mourn bitterly. And he doesn't say you shouldn't. It's just the Nehemiah message over again. Don't, because this is a holy day to the Lord. The world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy from the worst day ever to the best day ever. And the best day is so much better than the worst day that it doesn't even bear comparison except to reveal the truth of this reality that whatever grieves us, God has something better coming forth through it. It will be like a woman suffering labor pains when her child is born. All that anguish gives way to joy because of the joy that was set before her. That new life. So, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will not rejoice. And no one, listen, no one can rob you of that joy. He's not just talking about his crucifixion, he's talking about yours too. He's saying, You are going to suffer for me. He has said already elsewhere, They will not believe you. Family members will turn against you. You'll be brought before courts and leaders. You'll be imprisoned. You'll be beaten. You'll be maligned. You'll be killed. If they hated me, how much more will they hate you? But if you sorrow now, count it all joy, as James said, because of the joy set before you. The eternal joy of God's presence and God's love. No one can take that away from you. No situation can remove God's presence from you or pull you out of God's presence. None. No debt. No death. No divorce, no sickness, no illness. But what can is sin. Sin is what can evict us from the presence of God. Hallelujah, God has made a provision for sin. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. So you and I, we can freely recognize there's no condemnation in Christ. What then can separate us from the love of God? Can life or death or Height or depth or principalities or powers or things present or things to come? No, I'm persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Amen. Amen. And Jesus says, when you've got that kind of joy, you won't need to ask me for anything. You'll have direct access to the Father. And I tell you the truth, Jesus says, He'll give you what you ask for in my name. You ask using my name, and what you'll receive is my presence, my promise of abundant joy. That is hope that lasts through the night and brings us into the morning and into the harvest. Joy is fruit of the harvest. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. That means that where you were sowing the trials and the traumas, God was growing joy. Hallelujah. God is growing joy. And you know what? That harvest, that harvest of joy is a harvest of souls. I return again to Hebrews 12 two. That's the joy that Jesus has is that there is salvation. That's what sends all of heaven into a celebration. All the angels rejoice when a single soul is saved. Imagine the salvation of billions of souls in a moment in time on the cross, on the rolling away of the stone, on the resurrection. Jesus endured the death in order to lay hold of the joy of the Lord that is a harvest of souls that was set before Him. Therefore, you and I can be willing to be perfected through the hardship that God allows to come to us. His presence perfects us. In the midst of hardship. And his presence brings us joy. That's why James is saying consider it pure joy. Listen, he's not just saying look at the bad and call it good like some kind of Pollyanna. Well, it feels bad and it is bad, but I'm going to just pretend that it's good. No, what he's saying is make a choice. Choose to look up and see the eternal joy of the Lord. And then recognize that's the seed that you're planting through every trial and through every hardship. That's what God is growing in you. By trusting Him in those moments, you're allowing the fruit of joy to be borne out in you. And it will produce strength. Perseverance is the ability to keep going against opposition. The joy of the Lord is your strength to persevere. And perseverance makes you mature, makes you complete, not lacking anything. Think of the strong guy in the gym. He's lifted all of those weights, and that's what's made him strong. That's what's given him the ability to lift more weight. God wants to make you the strong man, the strong woman of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord will be grace to you. It's not that you're strong on your own. It's that you trust His strength that you look to His joy and His power is made perfect in your weakness. Oh, this one's hard for me. Lalong. Lalong ang aking kung ikaw ay makina. I like the way that says it though. That, it, that my weakness actually shows God's strength. It's easier for God's strength to show up in me when I'm weak. There's a joy, because I'm always weak. (laughs) It's a joy to be able to be yourself in the presence of the Lord and know that it's not your strength, but His that is doing the heavy lifting. That's a promise from Jesus, and it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Pangako at regalo. A promise and a gift. A promise and a present that is presently promised to you and I which is that his joy can be in you and that your joy will be made complete. His joy is the eternal reality. Your joy is what you see. So when you make his joy yours, you actually start to see more of him. We don't live by sight. We live by faith. But the more faith we have, the more we see by faith what we cannot see by sight. Are you tracking with me? In other words, the more that his joy is in you, the more legitimately joyous your emotions will be. So it begins with a decision and the emotions may not be there. And that's fine. You just stay true to the decision. But over time, more and more of God's joy will be manifest to you to the point where you actually feel the emotion. It's not because of the emotion. The emotion is because of the choice. And the choice begins with God. God chooses you, you choose to believe, and God grows real joy in you. So his joy is in you, and your joy is made complete. And this is the command that Jesus follows that with in John 15. For his joy to be in you, and for His your joy to be complete in him, love each other. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to despise the shame of the sacrifice, but for the joy set before them to lay down their life for their friends. And you're my friends, said Jesus, if you do what I command. And one of the things that he commanded was that we would partake in the sharing of communion. I'm going to ask if those who are serving today would bring the table before us. You're my friends if you do what I command. I don't call you servants anymore, says Jesus, but friends, You didn't choose me, I chose you. But because I chose you, you can choose me. You can choose to believe. You can choose to obey. And I've appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Do you see how in John 15 it all pulls together? The sanctification of salvation, the sending, the joy, the love, and the fruit. Fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name... The Father will give you. This is my command love each other. Love each other as I have loved you, says the Lord. And here's the measure of his love it's the full measure.